HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, Heritage Radio Network has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Stephanie and Edward from Gud Ogal. Um, and our other guest is Christian Schieder, all from Bergenland in Austria. We'll talk to Steph and Edward first about their wines. I want to talk to them about character in New York City and more. Maybe we'll talk about some wines we're tasting. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Stephanie and Edward are the proprietors and winemakers at Gut Ogau, their winery in Ogau in the Bergenland region of Austria. They restored a 17th century winery and now farm biodynamically. They created a unique family of wines by field blending the grapes from the region. Is that an accurate introduction? Amazing. Okay. <laughs> Thanks right. for having us. <laughs> so you guys, welcome back to the Grape Nation. You were on four and a half years ago, but we did it by phone. Yeah, it was So, crazy. Stephanie, I've seen you at Raw Wine from time to time. Um, but to sit with both of you together, you know, I'm very thrilled. Um, we're talking to Stephan Edward at our friend Adam Sachs' house in Brooklyn um, for a party hosted by our friend Marco Kovash. Um, celebrating character coming to New York City, November 5th, Saturday. We're sitting here the Sunday before. So I think I answered the question, but tell me why you're in New York City. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having us. And um, it's always, I think, a good reason to, to travel and especially to New York if Marco is um, um, calling us, we are coming. <laughs> so Marco calls yeah. you, come. Yeah. All right. That's nice. And he's calling you because he's brought character to yeah, New York City. New York, yes. Um, so that's really why you're here, Marco, character. Um, I think, Edward, you and I talked offline, something very special. Your kids are with you. 
Yeah, exciting for us as well. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good opportunity. There's school holidays in Austria now, and we decided to bring them because, as you said, four and a half years ago, we met for the first time at Raw and then had this interview. Um, but since, ever since, you know, we love to go back to New York and like we're meeting lots of friends and we want to kind of share the experience with our kids as well. Yeah, it's great that, you know, they're at the travel age and, you you know, you could take them around. Um I want to hear it from you guys because you've participated and you're participating. Tell me about character, you know, from your perspective. You know, what is it? I, I think it's it, it hits home literally because there's a big focus on Austrian wines, you know, European and all that. But tell me, tell me what character is. I mean, personally, for me, it's more like uh, gathering together what we love and people who we love and having a great time, but not superficial, more like going into deep, having time to reflect on, you know, like the vintage, the year. Yeah, and uh, being together and having a great energy and uh, good conversations. So is the people that come through on Saturday, it's going to be trade and consumer? It'll be a mixture. I mean, who will most of the people that will be there? I would guess so. It will be a good mix. It will be a mix. It will yeah. be a mix, uh, but certainly the common sense is, you know, certain hedonistic touch, people who love natural wines, who love a certain spirit of wine, a certain energy, and that's what they're going to find there. Yeah, I think, you know, credit Marco um, for doing that. Um Has it become important? Is it important? Is it important to your business to have these salons and wine fairs? I mean, do they help you with exposure, with sales? I mean, is that an important part of a character? I would say salons used to be important for us, rather, when we started and the years after. Now, as such, the salon for the sales is not important, but it's really important for us to, once in a while, travel to see and meet friends, to make an exchange, to get inspired. So that's that connection is important. The connection and the spirit created through a certain crowd, that's what's important, that's what's precious to us. But in terms of sales, you know, our quantities are limited. The demand is luckily quite high, given we've been working on this seriously for 15 years now. People trust in our approach, trust in our vineyards, trust in us. So there's no need to, say, represent the wines for the sales purpose. It's really mainly for, for the connection and, and for the energy. So there was, there was the old question, is it harder to make wine or to sell it? And you kind of answered the question because you don't make that much wine. It's popular and sells. So it's, it's important to have some soul and connect with people. Yeah, and to see also the places like uh, where the, the wines are getting served. You know, like I love to see like where our fictional wine family is going to, you know, like and if it feels comfortable, you know, like also right. they travel. <laughs> Right. Alongside, you know. It's funny, cause, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but it's literally a wine family. I mean, we have the wines lined up against yeah. the window. We're sitting outside, and we're staring at a family. Your own wines are your own family, but yes. there's like a face to these wines. So it's like, how's my family doing? <laughs> so you come and visit the family, which is really nice. Yeah, and we take it really personal in the best sense, and it's a very emotional connection we have with our wines. And, you know, like when... 
we bottle when the wines are sent abroad. We cannot necessarily follow them, but once in a while we can go and visit and then see how they behave, how they are treated, and that's also essential, you know, how, how they make people feel. They create happiness, they create vitality in people's minds and spirits, and that's that's really a beautiful thing for us. I'm, well. I'm guessing people have a reverence for the wine, but when you go out and visit, you feel that everyone appreciates it and, you know, enjoys the wines, right? Yeah, and for us, it's also maybe a little bit of uh, our hometown, Burgenland, to bring to New York, you know, like because the wines are so unique and so uh, full of energy from this... this, this the well, so let's talk about that, because that's yeah. really, you know, what it's about. You guys have owned the winery, I guess it's over 15 years already. Yeah. 2007, Edward and I were talking, you were pregnant when you yeah. bought the winery, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the beautiful thing is now your kids are around. So that's 15 plus years ago. But it doesn't feel like... <laughs> Well, that's great because that means you love what you're doing and you love raising your kids around it. But let's talk about some of the changes or challenges or accomplishments you've experienced through the 15 years. I mean, you're probably smarter, better. But to tell me, like, you know, when you look back that long ago and you look back now, what do you... You know, what's going on? I mean, I know the wines are more accepted, but what about, has it become harder to farm? Has it become, you know... I mean, I'm married with a man who is so particular in perfection, in producing wines in the fields, in the vineyards. Now we are having three horses. He's so with, so into all the preparations. I think... Yeah. So Edward, I, I, you I just introduced horses. <laughs> yeah, we we. Why it took so long? Uh, yeah, you know, it needs to be the right time and the right momentum, and it's quite an intense work and like training the horses, training us to do this. But um, yeah, we have three horses we work the vineyards with. Not all of the fields we can do yet because uh, still young horses and we need to get them in shape. And but most of the vineyards we can cover now, and that's really exciting for us. I mean. Again, that's that's the next step we took, but there's so many more to come. So, like, also asking or, or like re referring to your question, um, everything is always in motion, you know. What's it all about? The way we farm, the way we understand our vineyards is to get them into a certain balance. But balance is not the stage as such, you know. It always needs to be fine-tuned. We need to adapt. Uh, everything is changing around, you know, vintage are changing, climate is changing. So we better be sensitive, we better understand the needs of the fields of the plants and then react on this. So it's an ever-going process, you know. So so we are, of course, wiser, more experienced, but that experience also tell, tells us that we need to be really humble and we need to understand that what has been good this year to work the vines with is probably not the best next year. So we is always need to be open Is it like starting over or really... Looking at everything like we have to start with a clean slate? I mean, I have to say, like, uh, with the f uh, first questions, like, I mean, of course, when we started 15 years ago, the idea or the, the goal was to produce the best wine. Right. 
at the end, it's so much more. You know, like right. after 15 years for us, it's... It's not the liquid in the bottle exactly. entirely. Exactly. It's, right? it's, it's the energy you, you uh, bring into the bottle. It's like the energy in the vineyards. It's about the earth. It's about so many other aspects. Like what you always say, and it's so beautiful, like it's not only the material what we are taking is also the cosmic, which is so important to be with both very much connected, you know? Yeah, so in other words, you know, it takes, it takes the feet firmly in the ground, but it also needs the head up in the sky, you know? We need to find this balance as well. It's not just about the matter underneath. It's also about all the energy surrounding it. But isn't it fair to say you're alluding to biodynamics, where there's this whole, you know kind of energy you know not just the soil but you know the moon phases and preparation i mean is that is that part of it yeah sure sure i mean from the start actually we, were, we worked on biodynamics our vineyards and probably at the start it was more like a farming technique method for us right but it quickly became and it should become if you take it seriously a like lifestyle. A, a lifestyle um, as such because it's a holistic approach you know it's not just about how you farm your land it's about how you because we mentioned before, raise your kids, what you consume, how you consume, how you consider everything around, you know, everything is important. Equally. Right. Yeah, and then you realize, you know, like you're on a point where there is, you can't get further, but at the end, you want to go further and that's where you take it as right. a whole thing, you know, like right. you are, you don't want to be limited, you know, like and if you take it seriously, then there is no limitation. Right. And this is the beauty, you know. Right. And, what drives me crazy is why would you do anything but that? You know, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's so important to be in tune with everything and to honor the earth and just everything around it. How do you go back to doing it any other way? And as people continue, I'm sure there are people around you that are, you know, not as committed. Of course there are. And of course there's different paces and different rhythms. But in the end, you know... Um, Nobody, nobody can be prevented from getting wiser on a daily basis, right. you know. But it's always important, like, to be open-minded and and to understand that, again, what used to be right is not necessarily right nowadays. And sometimes you just have to trust your feelings and your, say, gut feelings rather than so being too much thing. like you said. What used to be right may not be right now. I mean, give me, can you think of something that kind of made sense and now it doesn't? You know, as far as what wasn't right, what's not right now that seemed right then? I mean, yeah, say, for example, like the biodynamic treatments we do, the way we, do, we did in the early days, of course, is different from what we do now because vegetation period has changed, is starting, everything is starting earlier. Harvest is much earlier than it used to be. In between, there's far more extremes. You know, there's very dry, hot periods followed and this by is, rather. This cool, resorts wet. to climate changing, right? Of course. I mean, yeah. We rather talk of a climate fracture, actually. It's not a change for us because change happens naturally forever and always. What happened in the recent decades is rather fracture. You know, that's totally upside down everything. But it has already happened to a certain extent. Right. We still have the chance to to kind of slow it down or, or to kind of freeze it in. Um, but certainly that change has already happened. So is we need that, to adapt. Is that what you're left to do? You have to freeze it or slow it down? I mean, that's all you can do to kind of stay at the pace? 
I would say everybody can contribute to this. Right. They are not only us, But I mean, in order for you to do vintage to vintage, in order to stay with the changing climate, you have to pivot and make, you know, different decisions, right? Yeah, and we can we can have a strong impact and we can contribute a lot as farmers in general. And that's also, say, our mission is a strong word, but we want to make people aware of, you know. Right. Agriculture in general causes so many problems nowadays, also in terms of global warming and everything. But it can, on the same hand, provide so many solutions if you take it seriously and if you have a certain sustainable farming approach. Lots of things can be corrected again or can be, like I said, frozen in, which is not only about vineyards, you know, it's about agriculture in general. And that drives us as well, right. you know, to make people aware right. of this. Yeah. It is agriculture. Yeah, but you have lots of, you have, we have lots of tools, of course, which we can use, like the tea preparations, then the compost, which we uh, produce by ourselves, you know, be because also in the, our region, we couldn't find the perfect compost, like um, uh, building more humus on the, on the top of the earth, you know, like uh, on the, um, how do you say that? Like yeah, on the topsoil. Uh, of the topsoil. And then, of course, what we did now, uh, like eight years ago almost, like uh, looking for places where there was not um, uh, vineyards before, but we knew that it's going to be, if the change or the the, uh, the fracture is going on in this way, we have to look for places where it's a perfect uh, balance against, right. uh, again for, you know, like... Um, um, so what's interesting is the property that you're on, and I want to I want you to give people a little snapshot because um, they get to know you a little and maybe they've tried the wines or, you know, drink them. But you are in Bergenland in the town of Ogau and you're about an hour outside of Vienna. Tell me, it's kind of a unique place. Just give me a little snapshot of... You know, climate, soil. I mean, you, you guys, you're not planting rows of varietals. You're, you're field blending. I mean, just give me a quick, you know, discussion. Yeah, try to make it short. Yeah, so Austria, like eastern part of Austria, which is not the sound of music Austria. Right. Many people know, but it's rather flat there. So we're rather close to Hungary, a couple of kilometers from the Hungarian border. And we are on the west bank of the Lake Neusiedl, which is quite a big, very flat lake. So huge influential on the climate there, balancing out the temperatures day and night. But on the west bank where we are, we are still on this hilly landscape, which is kind of the, the eastern edge of the Alps. So we have a beautiful, cool influence from the Alps, paired with this rather warm influence from the Pannonic Plain area and the lake. So it's a super, super nice combination of a certain, say, subtle maturity we get in the grapes plus the freshness and on top we have several different soil types all in a very minerally crystal clear terroir idea so there's limestone there's slate there's gravel hardly any loam so no fat no concentrated soil so it keeps the wines always straight always very eclectic very sounds ideal very yeah, very much alive now do our the parcels, the soils vary. It's not the same everywhere. Like this parcel may have more of something than another parcel. Or Yeah, so it's like historically, because our now Burgenland part of Austria used to be part of the Hungarian legacy during the Austro-Hungarian Empire. 
And there the, the law of heritage claimed that each child would get, get the same piece of land um, rather than, say, on the Austrian side where the oldest son basically would inherit all the land. So what happened in our area is during the generations, the puzzles have gotten smaller and smaller, more and more divided through heritage. So in the end, now we work on more than 60 different puzzles of vineyards, some rather close together, some further apart, some in the flatland, some on the hillside. Some on gravel, as mentioned, some on limestone, some on a mix of limestone and slate, whatever reference there is. So there's several soil types, several types of topography. And from the start, Steffi and I, we decided to blend all those vineyards with the same character, the same identity of soil. Say, for example, all the white vineyards on gravel are blended into one personality because those vineyards they create for us the same character of wine and that's why we blend them. You know, we co-pick them even if the grapes are ripe at the same time. So there's no no intention to to define wines through the cellar or the tasting, right. but everything is predefined through the vineyards. Right. And that's that's how not even the varietal too, right? It's what's out in the field. Yeah, and we at don't, the end, you know, like right? the varietal for us is more the I don't know how you say that, like it's giving you the information of your vineyard, you know, like, and it's like a transmitter, you know, like it's right. the in between, it's like giving the, you the electricity, you right. know. <laughs> it's very cool in that sense. Yeah. Um, and what's kind of unique, and we talked about this on the last show because it was so compelling to me then, but I'm used to it, is the philosophy of the wines and how you make them. I mean, it's literally a family, it's identified by faces. And it runs the range of ages from younger people to old people. And the type of wines that are reflected in those labels are identified by that. Just tell, tell everyone a little about, you know, the faces and the labels. Yeah, as mentioned, it's a fictional wine family. And for us, when we started, we kind of took over this abandoned vineyard back in, in end of 2006, beginning of 2007. So we kind of had a blank sheet. You know, it's been old vineyards, quite grown up in terms of age, so between 30 and 60 years then. But the former owners for years didn't produce wine. They would only sell the grapes. So in the end, we didn't know about the potential of the vineyards. We needed to find out. And the way we find out, found out back then was to go this natural wine approach, which is now also more or less common sense what it means. Back then, the term natural wine wasn't even born yet. So we kind of did it because we felt it was right without right. any, say, ideal in front of us or whatever. So long, long story short, the first vintage in, the wines were fermenting. We regularly tasted them of curiosity, also of insecurity to a certain extent because <laughs> we, we didn't really know what we were up to. But what struck us from the start was how unique those wines have been and how alive and each was feeling such strongly as a personality as a character and that one late night i would say after tasting a lot of wines <laughs> brought us on this track to to identify the wines as personalities means we described them as if they were persons right and the faces they symbolize the character of the wine so the faces are illustrations of the the personal description we gave to each wine and it's three generations because those vineyards would simply tell us different stories in terms of character. You know, some vineyards would be rather youthful, expressive, cheeky, 
in their personality. Some would be more, say, mature, more settled. Some would even be full of wisdom, a little bit grumpy, whatever. But those personalities are all defined by the soil, by the vineyards, by the topography, whatever comes along. And, and by the face on the label. And the face then tells this, this right. character. What is nice is like, you know, like to have now so many people who love it because when we started, nobody liked it. They didn't? <laughs> no. I don't people think they like, didn't like it. I, don't, I think they just didn't understand. No. Understand no, like, it or weren't used no, to it. No, but you know, like the wine was a little bit strange, and the faces on the label, they are not uh, funny faces, or they don't smile, and people were like, no, it's such a bad idea. You know, like I studied art for me, for us, it was like a normal thing, like because of course wine is a culture, but it's such a living product for us, you know, right. like it's a living That's exactly thing, what it know? is. And, and now it's beautiful that people love it, like we did from the beginning. <laughs> so, it is a beautiful thing that people love it. And as you said earlier, you only make so much wine. Have you expanded a little? Have you taken on some new property? Are you making a little more wine? I mean, of course, in the end, we, we had a certain organic growth, I would say. So in the early days, we, we simply did not have enough wine from those old vineyards. So we needed to to add a few neighboring pieces here and there also to kind because of survive. Because the crop was really, really low because the, the wines are, the vineyards are really old. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, like... Yeah, we need to, like, you know, refinance the bank loan, whatever it took. Um, so we kind of organically grew, but only to, to the certain extent that we could still digest this growth, you know, and also right. in terms of, like... Um, uh, work structure, dedication. We did, we never wanted to make any compromise in any vineyards and never did. So we, we found this beautiful balance on that as well. What we did recently and that only starting in 2018 is certainly also for us um, a crucial answer to what we talked about before, global warming and all the challenges we're facing. 2018 was the first year we planted vineyards ourselves, but that in a totally different system, which is not common in our area. So we go for a very dense planting, single stick training, no wires. It's like um, bush wines. Yeah, Doesn't that have a name? Like Stockkultur, it's called in, in Austria. It's right. an ancient, ancient way of training, right. but there is no... No, no wire, no metal in the vineyards, no plastic. It's everything like compostable, close, uh, dense planting. So actually, the the vines are on an early stage, encouraged to to grow deep with the roots to get the water they don't have probably on the surface, to put shadow on each other. We cannot work with any heavy machines. It's only the horses, so no compression on the soil. So good for the soil life. So amazingly healthy for the vitality. So that certainly paired with um, say a permacultural um, approach we have like co-planting trees bushes uh, beehives in the vineyards whatever it takes to break the monocultural the system the vegetables we do there you know like also for our tavern which we have on our right. place yeah, yeah so that that's a, certainly for us a conclusion and, a, and an answer for the future um, we gotta wrap up but I think as a parent one of the cool things to me is that when you took on the winery, Stephanie, you were pregnant, and we're talking 15-plus years later, and that should be about, you know, your oldest kid's age. So now part of your life <laughs> between the two of you making wine and what wine is all about is you have your kids around you. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. I mean, 
are they out there helping? I mean, do you give them space? I mean, how does that work, having kids around a winery? I mean, of course, but I think we are both way too young to, to, to you know, like thinking of, you know, like if somebody is taking over or not, you know, like we are so... Yeah, in, we're not there yet. We are not there at all. That has to happen all. naturally yeah. and you can't make them. And we have so many uh, still ideas what we want to do and we are still not there where we want to see you know it's a learning do life they seem case. engaged i mean do they like to be around it is it fun or is no it? they love it they yes yeah. yeah i mean like all the kids if you tell them to clean the horses uh, stable they love it on the first day but the next it's day it's all right, right, right. <laughs> yeah the uh the novelty of that you exactly. know goes away well it'll be like you said it like you farm by dynamically and organically it'll be an organic thing whether the kids i mean you they, know want to be part of this yeah, 10 I mean, 15 years no they, they, they always tell us you work so hard they tell you yes and like, you never have money and you're always stressed <laughs> that this is but how you they know what that's a value <laughs> they don't realize they're seeing that you know it prioritizes what's important yeah. which is love of what you do passion you know the product that you turn out has to be the way you want it they, yeah, so they should only it, yeah. grow up and they will with yeah. those values you know yeah, and at right, the end of course like working the way we do we always have say one eye glancing towards the future the next generations you know to preserve the land and to build up a healthy soil whatever it's not i mean we cannot like say uh, pick the crop of the seeds we are we are right. growing now but whether it's our kids or somebody else in the end uh, we will see but i mean we give them a good basement you know so they know what's important in life and whatever cho choice they take we will certainly support them in any ways yeah, and I think, you know, like also Good Oka is more like um, what we realized now through so many people who are doing a stage at our place. It's more a platform of reconnecting again, you know, like um, with your body, with your soul, with with earth in general, right. you know, like, and this is right. so beautiful to to give people the platform to... Yeah, to see what is really at the end important, you know. So I have a proposition for you. I have a proposal. You come I to work with us. That's <laughs> it. So here's here's the pitch. I think it would be wonderful to do a multi-segment show of a harvest. You know, being out there and documenting it and really, you know, do I, my shows are usually an hour or so, but really doing a separate series, you know, where yeah, but I always tell people if they are telling me I want to come for harvest, harvest is more the cherry of the chocolate cake. So it's like that you need to build the chocolate cake first. <laughs> so I defer to you. I mean, I, you know, I almost need to put a you know, a business plan together of what would be the most compelling and interesting thing, pulling back the curtains. Because you're, you're right. Everybody knows what harvest is. And, yeah. you know, I'm in the tank cleaning it out or I'm picking grapes. I, I think there's more to it. So I want to, I want to, you know, talk to you about that because I think, you know, you guys are the best. I think the area is terrific. The wines are terrific. I think how you do it. I just have to figure out, you know, what and where I won't like pass out in the middle of the uh, segment, yeah. you know. No, but I mean, totally excited about it because that's also 
what for us is so crucial, you know, our doors are always open. We want to definitely share what we are doing, why we are doing, how we are doing the things. Because That's like, the part. The more People the mo- see the wine and the label. I kind of, yeah. you know, all of what we talked about is really what I want to like unravel for people. It's like and being it's on also, the ground. Yeah, if we can inspire other farmers, other growers That's to work the on other the same thing. idea. I think um, you have uh, already, but you always will be able to continue. Yeah, that would be great. So, so doors are open whenever. We'll right. sort it out. We'll uh, figure it out. Stay maybe, tuned. Stay tuned. As soon as next year. All right, we got to wrap up. I want to thank Stephanie and Edward, Chepe, Ezelbach. Perfectly said. I got that. (laughs) um, For joining us on the Grape Nation. Um, It was a pleasure to sit with you while you were in New York City for Caractere. Caractere, I got that right. That is November 5th um, in New York at Rockefeller Center. Um, you'll probably see stuff on Instagram and you'll hear about it, but certainly it'll be a great opportunity for a lot of wineries to come to New York and really, you know, show their work. So we're excited about that. All right. Thank you, Stephanie and Edward. You've been listening to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones. And I'm your co-host, Darren Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, or just something you want to do for fun. Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium. It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're going to sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field, as well as an in-depth behind-the-scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape. 
We'll be covering everything from how to style your food to how to license IP to developing your own ideas and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show. Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29. We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories, their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world. So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe and make sure to give us a follow at the Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. For the second part of our interview, we're talking to Christian Sheeta, proprietor of his eponymous winery in Ilmitz in Austria. Um, we'll talk to Christian about his wines, character, why he's in New York, and more. All right, so Christian Sheeta, that's how you pronounce it, right? Yes, yes, yes. Christian Sheeta is a fourth-generation winemaker in the Bergenland region of Austria. Christian farms organically and biodynamically with incredible attention to detail in the vineyard and the cellar. He has helped pioneer the low-intervention natural wine movement in Austria and beyond. His wines are aromatic, textured, and with a lot of finesse. He makes wines from Pinot Blanc to Zweigel, Riesling, Syrah, and more, and we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Christian. Hello, Sam. Hi, guys out there. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited uh, to sit down with you. I've been looking forward to this. So we're talking to Christian today in New York City. We decided to sit outside um, on 23rd Street, so you may hear some background noise, but that's okay. That's what New York's about. All right, so Christian, let's get a few things out of the way. Tell me why you're in New York City. I'm in New York. I arrived today because uh, in the weekend there will be the big character show. Okay. Yeah, a gathering of uh, nice winemakers showing their stuff in New York. First right, time. I, I want to talk a little about that, Yeah. but I'm hoping you're... Doing dinners, seeing accounts, meeting up with people, right? Take advantage of all that? Yes. There will be a very nice uh, dinner at Atoboy uh, tomorrow right. on uh, Thursday. And then there will be a dinner at Le Rock on Friday. So you're, you're, you're hitting some very, very special places. With our friend Jorge. Right. Yeah. Um, who I saw the other night. All right. So tell me a little about character. Um, I think you'd be good as good as anybody because you've been a participant. It happened recently in Austria, not that you know, less than a year ago. Yes. And I guess Marco Kovac decided New York would be a great place to do it. But first, tell everyone you know what character is. Would you say it's a wine salon? <clears throat> Describe. Uh, I would, your I would own say, words. in my opinion, it's uh, uh, very, very relaxed. Uh, so that's why I'm here because it's relaxed, but it's a very also noble and noble. I mean in a in a very positive way because people are that relaxed. So you just can walk around and taste the nice wines that you like to taste. Do and you the winemakers itself that are pouring the there is the winemakers that are pouring the wine themselves, not anyone else. Right. So that's one of the things. 
So, so when you the, when you go to Caractere and yes. you're going to wine tables, you're meeting the guys, not you, you meet, the distributor. Or, you meet the producers, right? Not, not the representatives. No. When you say it's you know sort of low key, the vibe. I'm guessing that's just the whole mindset of the collective winemakers and sort of the vibe of the fair, right? It's yes, not like this. More or less, yeah. 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 It's less formal. Uh, I've never seen a person with a black tie there, so okay. that's why I like it. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you're going to either. Um, how important is it to have a character? Is it important for exposure? Is it important for sales? All of the above. Um, Connecting. That's a very good question. How important is for sale? I cannot tell you, but I can tell you it's important for me to go there. Because I want to see and meet the people that are drinking my wine. So I want to understand who I'm doing all this stuff in the vineyards for. <laughs> right. So in a sense, you could be living in a bubble, just making wines the way you make it, exactly. getting all this critical acclaim. But if you don't get feedback you know, from people... So the feedback that we get here is, is the, the applause for the artists after the show. No, That's right. the point. Right. So... Um, yeah. I'm curious who are the people no, I mean I have a lot of friends here and also fans I think in New York in the meantime but I'm well, still uh, curious about the people that are showing up there no? let's let me be fair um, for people who are not that familiar with you or your wines and we're going to talk about it so by the end of the interview they'll have a sense you know your stature and your place in wine in central european wine and austrian wine is very high on the list and impeccable you know so for you to be here and for people of all walks you know to see that is as much a treat for them as mm. for you to connect with them is it it's attended by trade and by consumer right i hope yes you know, yeah. you'll see psalms and retailers yeah, yeah, and you'll see, you know, yeah, collectors yeah. or drinkers, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's not yeah. just an industry thing and it's not just for the public tasting thing. Um, I think there's still maybe... Uh, no, I think character is also nice because it's for uh, every different kind of people, no? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it an important... I asked you how important a fair like that is... Is this one of the more important ones just because of their whole philosophy? And uh, I just can tell you, uh, I think if I look back, it has been the only fair I've been for a long time. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yes, it is important. Yeah, so that it is important to you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious because this has been going on for years now. And why is Austria and Central Europe? for that matter, not just Austria, receiving so much critical acclaim and recognition for their wines. You've been making wines for years. You've been getting... But it's just... I don't think I'm wrong when I think it's really, you know, blown up in a good way. Mm -hmm. is, is that accurate, what I'm saying? I mean, it's... Why? Why? Why now? I mean, you haven't changed the way you've made wines in the last five, seven years. Uh, that's, that's a very good question. What uh, do you think? I, I don't have an answer for this in particular. I just can tell you that 
I have the the feeling that especially uh, Austrian wine, uh, wherever you open a bottle, the Austrian wine will always be one that has a certain kind of freshness that people make smile. So, oh. the reality is, is the kinds of wines that have been made are, like I said, getting the recognition. People open it up and it's like love at first sip type thing just because of the energy and how well made and all there you know and all of that i mean i don't want to get into a whole uh, dissertation about natural wines but the acceptance of natural wines organic biodynamic in the last few years you know has gotten better and better i'm sure that's why people pay attention to austrian wines of course i mean if you see the the whole movement of the world everyone wants to know where his food comes from how it was sourced uh if you eat meat, you want to know if the animal has been treated nice. And so, of course, the same with wine. Right. No. It's funny so. how wine to some people is the last thing they think about that yes, way. But You know, is your chicken organic? Of course. But it doesn't matter about the yes. wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, no, it's no. crazy. Um, uh, same, same with coffee or bread, no? Right. Yeah. Right. Those are all things where, yes. you know... It, I always, when I talk to chefs... Or coffee roasters, or, or the tea, the tea people, we always say we are colleagues. We are in the same boat, more or less. No. Yeah. Besides right. the fact that a winemaker like me, we are farmers too. <laughs> you, I think what's happening is you're primarily farmers. Yes. You know, I think the land is the thing that's. Would you agree the most important, and you have to protect it? I mean, the type of farming, and I want to talk to you about that. But here's something I'm curious about. Because like I said earlier, if people don't know you, they'll realize after the interview what you're doing and they'll certainly admire you and, you know, they'll be curious to try the wines. I think one of the issues with a winemaker like you and a lot of other winemakers is, you know, you put your nose to the grindstone, you work very hard, fastidious, meticulously to do things the way you know is best, and you make these wonderful wines, but... The thing that drives me crazy is there's not enough wine for everyone. That's sort of... Does that frustrate you? Uh, I mean, it beca- I don't want to... It becomes culty or not everybody can get what they want and you want anyone who wants it. But how do you live through that? How do you react to that? No, to me, that's... Uh, I always say fair enough. Uh, things are... I'm happy that... Uh, the quantities and these this limited quantities that we produce, they are uh, easily distributed in the world. I mean, we have fans around the globe. And so we try to make as many people as happy as possible. But uh, You don't think beyond what you make. You don't have to. No, I don't. What you make, you make it the way you want. We it have, goes to where it should. Exactly. And who are, right. We have the quantities we have. And that's how it is. I mean... It's like in a if you have a 45 seat restaurant, you can't put in 90, 90 right. people. It's 45 seats. Right. It'll be and uncomfortable and the quality of the food will go. And, and for us, we have 15 hectares and that's the result. Uh, the outcome is 40,000 bottles and that's it. So, well, because land is attainable, maybe it's too expensive, maybe it's not contiguously available, 
Do you think down the road about, you know, adding property to make more wine? Not, not really. Uh, what we've done is uh, to move up the hills into the, in higher altitudes. And so we just switched. So the quantities stay the same. And, uh, but the vineyards are a bit different. We changed. Are you moving up the hills for a reason? Are you addressing for, particular issues, which are what? Uh, we've done this the last 10 years. And uh, uh, if you think about the temperatures that are coming, the drought, things like that. So you're, you're trying to adopt uh, what everyone calls to climate change. I can tell you the last two weeks we have been spreading 800 tons of compost. I mean, that's a huge amount. Why? Just for coverage? or uh, Yes, kind of, because we were mixing it uh, with straw and reed, but also to keep the soil healthy and uh, keep it fit for the dry season next right. year. You have to be more attentive with the way things are changing. Uh, we are very attentive since very long time. Right. But I, you always have been, but you adopt to the changes by, yes. yeah, I mean, that's yeah. crazy. Um, has that affected production? Not really. So you've but, been able to stay ahead. But that's uh, that's the signal that we seem to be on the right track. Right. If there is drought and very dry years and we have normal quantities, so everything is fine. No? Right. It says that the vineyards are in balance. Right. And that's what we want. Right. No? Right. And you're very astute to that. We're talking to Christian Sheeta. As you can hear, we are sitting outside downtown in uh, New York City on a very active and busy night. But I think like Christian's wines, I think both of us like the energy yeah. of what's going on around us. All right. I don't want you to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to kind of give me a little background on your journey in life and wine that basically got you to your own, you know, winery. You have a family history. Just fill in some of the pieces for that. You know, mm -hmm. your dad, you know, was a organic practicing viticulturist. But, you know, so tell me, give me a timeline on that. Yes, you have to understand. The wines that were made uh, during the Second World War from my family, for instance, uh, they just were... Uh, uh, to feed the family and to exchange in in Vienna with clothes or with other stuff. So it was not that kind of thing. It wasn't a business, really. It wasn't a business. It was like a home wine. Yeah, it was a home. Yeah. Uh, and then my father started uh, uh, in a certain way. And he, he was kind of part of the first... They had a group that was called Naturweingärtner. I mean... These were guys in the region? These were guys in the region. Where they looked from the outside it, it as was, like crazy? Yes, it was uh, It was not that crazy, I would say. I mean, they, uh, they did not use fertilizers, herbicides, things like that. Yeah. So this was, if you think about in the 70s, this was a big effort, no? Right. Yeah, and this is where maybe I saw the first green things in my life, no? And then everything continues slowly, and uh, I had I had my first contact 
with wine in the age of two. <laughs> so there was you grew a, up around a, it, yeah. a dripping bottling line, and I was tasting the ice wine <laughs> that was bottled. It's sweet, right? Yeah, I, it was very sweet. Yes. So you were around it very young. And I, did you kind of stay around? I mean, I, I should know this, but I don't. Did you leave... No, I you can, know the family in the winery to go to school or do other I, business things or? I can tell you uh, if you grow up in a wine region and in the wine family of course uh, go ahead so if you grow up in a wine family yes if you grow up in a wine family of course uh, wine is is not a special topic anymore no, no. It's, a, it's a standard thing right. that you live with and I have three brothers, and uh, are they uh, I started, actively interested? Your I brothers? I started to take over with my younger brother uh, of your dad's winery, not anything, yep. uh, right? But the winery was not in the condition like it was now. No? And um, yeah, what we, was so we when you a, say not in the condition? No, size-wise and. Also, what about practices? The I practicing mean, was not the point. It was also th that was okay. The uh, how should I say? It was a different time, also. No, right. They were producing a lot of sweet wine. I think the portfolio they had it was thirty different wines. No, every grape variety in different kind of style. Were and were you planting those? I mean, were, was your dad just planting varietals? Yes, yes. Or just for the sake of no, not what was best for the climate and the soil, this, but just to this make was this was a different time and a different concept right. of wine, no? Right. And as I said before, it was the time when ice wine was a big shot. No? What? <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that um, maybe maybe that's why I can't make this kind of wine. No, no you probably have no yeah, desire it, to do it. It says. You see, everything starts in the childhood, no? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Two years old. Yeah. So about how old were you with your brothers when you really dug in and started moving the winery? I was forward? 23, 25. But it didn't take too long because uh, we found out that only one can be the the person who says what is done. And so he left and became a teacher. And... Uh, now I'm the guy since when more was than, that since more than 15 years no okay yeah so now you're the guy like you said one person has to make you know the final calls but you have your own ideas and you want to take it in a direction that is important to you tell me tell me like some of the evolutions that yes I, I want to tell you that I started to make these wines out of an inner need I had to do it. I had to uh, create my own way of wine and develop my own style. In these days, you have to understand when we started almost 20 years ago with kind of natural wine, I could not call someone and ask how, it, how does this work. There was nobody. It was all trial by it error? Trial. You had to figure it out on your own? I just, I just knew that I didn't want to do it like the others did it. <laughs> I wanted to find my own way, and I wanted to have it on based of uh, on low alcohol and high energy. So when you say you didn't want to do it the way others did it, they were practicing good practices, 
but you toned down the alcohol a little. You wanted a little more lower alcohol. I Those were, that was one of the obvious things. Yes, this was the first thing that I, I was searching for. I was searching for methods in the vineyards to bring down the alcohol. Did you had you tasted any wines that were lower alcohol that you said you know this is the kind of wine or you it was more of a no, vision? I had a vision. I had a, a very clear and at the same time very abstract vision. Yes, I well, wanted you were to, ahead of your time. Yeah, there. I wanted to reinvent the the red wine of Austria somehow. No, were there? So you said there was really no one, you know, to go to or talk. Were there any influences? I mean, were there guys either in Spain or Europe, you know, that were... No, if there was uh, influenced and very indirect from France. France has France. always been... Right. Uh, in the Loire. Very nice the for Jura, me. Right. Very nice for me to travel. Right. I mean, Loire was, was my destination in these days. Right. So when you really took control of everything, you started making changes quickly. I guess at some point you figure out what you want to make. I mean, are the wines you're making today similar to... Boy, we got a lot of ambulances today. They are similar, but quite uh, evolved in style. And very, I would say, the wines now are... Uh, more grown up and I can tell you I mean I made the first wines with 24 25 sometimes I think I I had this vision but in fact I didn't know what I did <laughs> right I just did it <laughs> right you know? that's how trial and error to be honest and then what did I do and you do it again yes. and it works yeah. and yeah. all you that. just do it no, because it's it feels right no? it's pretty amazing that to be I mean yeah I mean you're being brutally honest about it and you, you know fortunately for you you got to the right place um, so tell me a little about tell me a little about the land your your hectares. I mean, tell me a little about the vineyard. You know, just tell people the location. You know, you're in Ilmitz in Bergenland, not an hour outside of Vienna. Climate, which we addressed a little because you're moving north. Mm -hmm. Type of soils you're dealing with, you know, and varietals. Just, you know, you get up every day and you walk out there and just tell me yeah, what there, we're seeing. Uh, this is a very interesting thing. There is the family vineyards that are around Ilmitz that belong to the family. And then there is my own that are in the hills of Burgenland. So quite steep and uh, quite high in altitude. And uh, this is where, where I do my stuff. Now, do you farm both the family and yours? Yes. yes so yes. they're distinctly different and yes, varietals bit, yeah, yeah, and wines yeah, 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 and all yeah, yeah. that. Um, so, so climate varies in those properties? I guess as you go further north, or up in the hills. For me, the the, the, the real things are there. Yeah, uh, up in the hills. It's yeah. that's you. You get the most. Yeah, there's the most excitement. You have a few over the the whole Burgenland. You see the lake. We are making wine. Wait, what's on a, the name of the of lake? A beautiful again? lake called Neusiedlersee. Right, I can't pronounce yes. it. That's why I'm making you do it. Fantastic. So there's an, there's a lake influence. Yes, of course. Which is positive. And. Everyone who knows a bit about wine, uh, that there is always great wine where there's a river or a lake. So, right. Yeah. 
Really, I mean, from the yes. Rhone to yeah. Bordeaux, you know, where Moselle, whatever. Yeah, Moselle. I mean, is maybe yeah. one of the best examples. Yeah. Um, so the varietals that you farm, uh, you know, on your property, you know, that are in the hill, are they? Does it call for different varietals? I mean, on the family vineyards, are you growing the same on both with different results, or you're taking no, advantage? No, no. Uh, there's two things that we see. If there is old wines that are very existing nice, old vines. existing, we take how they are. Come as you are. If you are nice, it's yes. a pleasure to it's have. It's a pleasure. Them. Yeah. But uh, if we if we make new plantings, uh, we also try to use special varieties that are not so common. No, we've also test planted some Chenin Blanc. Oh, really? Uh, yes. Uh, or, uh, so you're willing to, as well, right? You're willing instance. to try anything. Yeah, I'm open for work. anything. I mean, I that's great. Um, and I just want to say something else. We found uh, very special methods uh, to force the roots go deeper. We do double plant system. D o p p e l. So that means double planting is a way of planting two wines side by side. Two plants. Two plants side by side. So normally when people look at a vineyard, you know, there is one, you see a row of one, yes. there's there, one plant, it's double. Yes, it's double. So it's, it, it, there's, creates competition. This creates a lot of competition and forces the roots go deep and is leading to high acid, higher acid, to thicker skins, uh, to, to less sugar production, which is, uh, Leading to alcohol, no? Those are all things that are so important to the type of wines you and like to make, these, right? Yes, and so all these small details that uh, I discovered and developed is leading to to wine that is not driven by alcohol, but it's driven by its its own inner strength and power and, and freshness. No? So, silly question, on a go-forward basis, whenever you find the need to plant, would you always do... Doppel, or it only it sounds like it's the right thing to do always, but no, uh, you need to be very careful if it's a, a bit more dry up. Oh, okay, so you have to survey you, that you have, it's on the you right, you have to see these things as right, well, right? Right, right, So, what, what else we do is, is then high density planting, which means we have different uh, uh, distances so. We plant up to nine and a half thousand wines per hectare, and then the next step is work with horse because it's they are too tight for a tractor things like that. So what does when you plant high density? Mm -hmm. What kind of you know grapes? What kind of wine are you getting out of that? Uh, Pinot Noir, for instance. But what's the characteristic of doing it that way? Tricky to say it in a few words. Really, but the high okay. density. Is according uh, to the vineyard where it is and the variety. So in the end, I feel more energy and more uniqueness, right? Because there is there's more roots, no more roots, more more pickup nutrition energy from the soil. Right. So leading me to the next topic, soil, the most important. And you. Don't treat it. You treat it naturally. Like you said, you compost if you have to. No fertilizer. I mean, you don't... Do you till? 
this is nothing. <laughs> this is nothing we need to talk about. That's of course no, but right. Uh, we found our, I think, quite cool methods that that are leading to very nice results in this kind of. Yeah. That's great. Um, take me into the cellar. So, I mean, it's fair to say, you know, low interventions are a very important part of, you know, how you do everything out in the field. When you get to the cellar, everyone says this, and you'll say, the work's done out in the field. If you have vibrant, healthy grapes, now what's happening in the cellar? Yes, that's kind of true. Uh, but so, the I think if you if you would see it in a whole year, I think ninety five percent of the work we do is done outside, right? And five percent is in the cellar. But these five percent can really, really infect the ninety five percent you've done outside. So, um, for instance, we are using two different press systems. We have one vertical press, like uh, very. Very special. French Didn't you buy a real fancy, expensive yes, no, one? We have the same like uh, right. the, these these crazy burgundy producers, right, right, no? right. Which is not it's unusual for Austria to have yes, those, right. But I I was saving money for this for five years. So, but was that to make you happy, or those presses do something that's important to the way you want to make the wine? That's that's a very uh, that's a very big part of of. Uh, uh, how I want to make wine. So it's I need to I need to talk a bit wider. So as we are not using a distemmer, for instance, because I think that a distemmer is doing four five hundred rounds per minute. And if you put a grape inside Just too much banging around too or much whatever. Banging, you, you don't want that. Kinetic energy. So does that mean you destem another way or you make wine with the stem? We destem by hand okay. or, or we make wine with stems. Right. So if you have uh, the mesh with the stems allows to, to use lower pressure during the pressing because the stems are leading the juice out of the mesh. Right. So we are pressing, all the wines are pressed with the power of a handshake. So and I have a strong handshake, but Very it's still light. a handshake. Right, 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 right. A little pressure. You know? yeah. And all these, all these small details are leading then to one thing, you know, which is in your glass. So right. Yeah. And you do spontaneous fermentation, of you course, know, indigenous and all yeah. that. Um, you're not. You're using neutral barreling. Big we Stockinger have, barrels, or we have. Um, Fantastic Austrian partners that are, are making barrels in Austria. With what kind of wood? Austrian wood. Austrian wood. Austrian wood. And we. And try you found the characteristics of that wood work. They are neutral because also the size. So if you have a one thousand liter barrel, of course it is more neutral than a barrel with two hundred liters, because the surface is a different one. Does that? distinguish you from other winemakers or are people in the region also using Austrian wood? It's quite common. It is. But uh, just today at the airport I had a big discussion about uh, barrels against amphoras and alternative vessels and these things. I said, guys, I'm honest, I, I don't think that that I need I need an amphora in my cellar. We have these fantastic barrels. 
it, it, it takes you to where you want to get to. Yes. I mean, I, there were some wineries with amphora, wood, concrete, eggs, the, new wood. I mean, you can go crazy, right? It that's, is. That's interesting. You know, that's pretty consistent. I mean, I can, I can go there to the, uh, to the copper and I select the wood for the barrels. I mean, right. that's fantastic. No? That, that is and great. The barrels we have are on a quality level like nothing else. No? Right. Um, so it's interesting. You are doing unique things in the cellar. You know, it sounds pretty simple, you know, using Austrian wood and basically using that one vessel, you know, for everything. It's simple, but... We, we tried really to simplify things. So if you simplify things... Other people, uh, other staff will speak. So the vineyard will speak through. If I do high-end vinification methods, the wine will be driven by the method. If I take myself out of this game, the vineyard will speak. The big question is a different one. Is the vineyard beautiful enough to speak in a nice language? Well, that comes back to you That's, and how you and do then everything. We talk about the farming again, which is leading that the farming topic is a never-ending topic because it starts and ends everything with the vineyard. So, right. Yeah. And I was, you know, we talked about this before, but every year you learn a little more or you have to make a little tweak or things evolve, right? Whether you're forced by weather yeah. or, you know, yield or climate and all of that. Um, all right. I got to let you go soon. So we got to wrap up. There's a couple things I want to do. I know you have a deep appreciation of art. And your labels, if you look at them very closely, mm -hmm. they're incredible. I mean, they're intense. You could look at them, you know, on a wall and go, oh, those are interesting. But when you get close to those, tell me about, obviously, you wanted to take a vision you had of your appreciation of art. You have artist friends. How do you express that through the label? I've always, I've always been searching for art that touches my soul and the same with wine and I think through the art on the label I, ca I can express uh, the soul of the wine also for instance there is this wine uh, Bird's Cape Pink Maceration uh, it's a mixed field with I would say 20-30 different varieties in the vineyard so it's like a field blend it's a field blend yes and on the label uh, you have I think 50 different birds on it and it, it should reflect the different varieties. Right. right. But it's also fun because in Austria you say if you have a bird in your head, you're a bit cuckoo. Oh, yeah. So this is a bit... Well, that's okay. Uh, People yeah, that's can think okay. that. Yeah, yeah. And you have friends. So you sit with friends and you take these ideas and say, listen, my birdscape vineyard is all these varietals. Here's how I want to express. And they're able to, you know... Put artwork together for you for the labels? I mean, this label, the Birdscape label, uh, is an art piece from 79. Oh, really? Yes. So we selected... Right. Sometimes it is like this, that we select an art f from the past, but sometimes uh, we talk to an artist and then he does a painting. So That's great. Um, it's always nice to... Uh, you know, drink a wine and ponder at an interesting label, too. You know, I was with Edward and Stephanie from Gudogo, and they have a concept going there, too, with the family faces, you know, which is kind of a fun thing. Um, all right. We do a thing 
on the show called The Wine List. I ask my guests five questions. Mm -hmm. I ask all my guests the same five questions because I think people are interested in your preferences. So uh -huh. this is spontaneous. You're not going to have a problem. So here's the first question. What are you drinking now? What are you tasting? What's in your fridge at home? What are you curious about? You know, experimenting with? Are there a few things that, you know, as the seasons change, you switch? What are a couple of things you're drinking now? Uh, in my personal fridge, there's very little food and a lot of wine inside. It's mainly a wine fridge. Is and it your wines or your... No, no, your, no. Your, it's some, there's some bottles of mine. So but give me a couple of things that are the in moment, there that you've been tasting. At the moment, there is... Uh, it's a bottle of Gabriobini inside. Spell that for me. Uh, Gabriobini. It's the, the label... The, it's an arrow. It's the bottle with an arrow from Italy. Okay. Gabriobini? Gabriobini, yes. Bini. Bini, yes. Okay. Because uh, I post this on our social oh media. Oh, yeah, whatever, yeah. Give and me uh, Then there is uh, Strohmeyer from Austria, sure. from Styria. Sure. Good friend of mine. Styria very is nice, making terrific nice wines, right? Yes. There is a bottle of Muster. Muster? Also Styria, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, Styria is a place to admire. Those are good ones. Yes, and also there is uh, two or three bottles of uh, Bruyere Uyon from Jura. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I would think you'd be trying Jura and Loire wines. And there's one more from uh, Juan Ramon from Escoda. What about any beer? Do you have any beer in there? I don't uh, drink beer. No? No beer. I'm not a big beer drinker no. either. All right. Those are great answers. And like I said, I'm going to post. Second question, kind of the silliest. Your favorite wine and food pairing. Not what we think is a good one, but what do you like? It's obviously something you don't eat every night, week, month. But what's what's in your mind that you love? What's the right wine and the right food together? For which white wine? Any oh. wine. What not there, like people say, champagne and oysters, cabernet and steak. Uh. What, what do, you, do you have a... Maybe nothing stands out. White or red, it doesn't matter. You're stumped on this. I'm surprised. I like uh, rosé and hamburgers. Okay. People yeah. think rosé may be a little too light for hamburgers, but no, the no. right rosé. Choose a good rosé. Yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. I think a lot of people I talk to are in New York. What are great places by you in Austria, you know, by the uh, winery? Are there good, a place you can walk in that has a great selection, they're knowledgeable, the vibe at the place is good. Are there places like that? You mean in Austria? Or anywhere else, both. I mean, here in New York. What do you like here? I'm, I'm looking forward to go to Four Horsemen. Okay. Instance. That's a show favorite. I was just with Justin. Can you think of anything else? Uh, in New York, the Ten Bells. Looking forward. That's the, you know what OG is. That's one of the original, yes. you know, natural guys. Oh. What about, is there, are there any places like that within driving distance of your winery? You mean in Austria? Yeah. Uh, yes, there is a similar place like Four Horse. No, not really. These are originals here. I know. The Austrian... The Austrian uh, Wine bars are less wine bars. They are more restaurants. 
they have more so restaurant it's restaurants restaurants with some decent wine yes, not with great fa- wine fantastic wine list but more restaurant character yeah yeah um, so this is what this is what i like with these kind of bars here in new york great food great wine great food Both but beyond. it's mainly bar right and i understand that it's tricky to catch no right yeah? well i think four horsemen caught magic in a bottle oh fantastic i mean you know i've been doing the show for years and when i ask that question it's probably you know the and 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 by no coincidence Uh all right fourth question here's the question i used to ask people what's your favorite all-time wine and what i was fishing for was what was christian what was like the rarest most expensive wine you ever drank i don't care about that anymore in all all your travels back to that um, ice wine when you were two, the wines your dad were making, mm. your early wines. What wines, what's the wine, one or two of them, that either influenced you, was a gateway to how you think about wine, that just changed? Is there a wine or two that, you know, you can't forget how important it is to you? That's a very good question, and I'm not prepared for this. Okay. Uh, Here's what I'm going to do. Is there an answer lurking somewhere? There is an... All right, so I'm going to get you offline and email you. No, no, no. There is there is an answer. It is all time the same kind of wines. It's not one specific. If there is wine that comes from very, very special region where the weather is rough, where it's super hot, and they achieve to make low alcohol nice wine, I give full respect to these people. No? So... Like I get exactly what you're saying. Southern France, in the toughest of Catalonia, circumstances, making exactly. the best, you know, wines, the balance, yes, the finet, you know, all of that balance. stuff. That's an interesting answer, yeah. and that's a very cool answer. I, I don't have a lot of respect for Disneyland wines, but I respect these. these I wine totally maker. get what you're saying. Yeah. All right, the last question. I think you should be able to do it. It's, it's a tough question for some people. I ask people. I want you to recommend to me the best wine recommendations, a red and a white, for around $15, $22 American retail. So I'll rephrase the question. What are the best values in wine if you had to drink a white or a red? You know, like Muscadet is great value. There are great Rieslings. Tell me, tell me a red or a white, a red and a white, that I should be drinking that is like the best bang for the buck. For fifteen, for fifteen bucks, fifteen, twenty, twenty-two bucks American, a bottle or a glass, bottle. <laughs> oh, you snob! Oh uh, no, uh, you're not. A I'm, snob, not I'm not. I'm not familiar with the prices. Uh, so then, to the best of your knowledge, answer that question. What What is a great white wine? That's a good value. What's a great red wine? That's a good value. I, uh, in the whites, I love uh, Riesling and Grüner. So uh, that's a real answer because you can get like an Uli Stein yes. for $22. Yes. You know, you can't beat that. Yeah. How about a red in the same vein? Blaufränkisch and Kami. Blaufränkisch is Austrian. Right. And, and it's not an expensive wine no, and it's a terrific uh, grape that you Blaufränkisch is, is in the full range. I think you get nice stuff from 15 up to 100 bucks. I you mean, do. Depends um, on your budget. I should know the answer to this. Do you make an 
almost an all Blancanfranche wine? Do you make or mostly we have, blended? We have, yeah, but not every, so. not every year. Right. Because not every year is suitable to show full, full uh, single variety performance. So okay. your lineup changes every year based on... But I, I we mean, stay creative. Right. Yeah. But you're, you're making literally dozens of different wines every year, right? Between 8 and 10. 8 and 10 is pretty yes. much the solid and number. And I always go with the flow. If the, if the vintage is offering me this, right. I go in this direction. Right. If it's not offering, I go in another one. That's, I, mean, that's I take this very easy. It's really the only way you're supposed to go. All right, Christian, we have to wrap up. Like I said, I got to let you go. You have a very, very busy week in New York. Um, Christian Sheeta's Wines will be at Caractere. Um, that's K-A-R-A-K-T-E-R-R-E. You can Google that and find out more about the fair. Um, there are some events Christian will be at. They'll be posted on uh, their website, actually. They put them there. Um, so let me do a quick wrap-up, and I want to get some information from you. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Leave a review if you like the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby, on Twitter at benruby, but you could always reach us through the hashtag thegrapenation. Um, at Facebook, we're at the Grape Nation. As I mentioned, I will post Christian's wine list uh, answers because he had some pretty cool recommendations there. Um, Christian, if we want to find out more about you and the wines, I, I'm gathering you're not a big social media guy, are you? No. So I, you know, there's not. But if I want to, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, I got to find out more about you know the wines and Christian, where do I go? Uh, there is a very nice shop called Discovery Wines. Okay, so basically go out to the wine shops, to your favorite restaurant sommelier, see if they have the wines, go to your favorite wine shop and talk to them. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, that's pretty simple, because you know there are some people in wine that are obsessed with social media. You're the opposite. It's all about the wines, and I love that about you. To be, to be honest, Sam, I don't understand the social media system. but It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I'm happy with that. It's okay. Um, all right. So, Christian, I want to thank you. I want to let you know that uh, we did a little interview with Stephanie and Edward. We did a little interview with you. It's sort of a character Austrian show. We're going to release that. Um, so thank you to Stephanie and Edward. Thank you to Christian. And I really have to thank Christian because Christian literally got off a plane um, from Europe, headed to New York, and basically I let him go up and check in, basically met me right away to sit down and talk with me. Um, and I thank Jenny Leftcourt for hopefully putting a little bug in your ear saying you should talk to this guy. Yes. So it was a pleasure to talk to you. Continued success. Um, so thank you to Christian. Thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.